Anybody as um, considerate as I am when it comes to dealing with people on the roadways? Oh, I was not expecting that from you guys. We've got a bunch of Christian people who apparently have some issues behind the wheel, it sounds like. <laughs> I remember um, I was driving home. Audrey and I were driving home. We were at a retreat together, and we were coming home from Central Oregon, and uh, we had two little ones. You know, both the kids were at home, and so we wanted to get back. And, uh, you know, I was stuck behind this car. And uh, before I go further into my story, if there's any law enforcement friends that are with us today, I normally am a really good driver. And I was on this day. But this car that I got stuck behind, now, Traveling from Central Oregon back to the Portland area, there's not a lot of passing lanes. It's a lot of two-lane highway. Every once in a while, you'll get the dotted thing where you can pass, right? So I was stuck behind this car, and uh, you know, this car just happened to be going the speed limit. And that was just not good enough for me. I was in a hurry. I wanted to get back to see my kids. I'd been gone for a while. And I, I didn't want to go like 20 over, all right? Been there, done that, learned my lesson with a ticket the hard way, okay? But I just wanted to go five, maybe seven over. Like, that's average, right? I heard in college and math, my, math, my college math teacher said you can go 10% over without getting in trouble, right? Because So 10% over, so it was 55. I could go five and a half, six over without really getting in trouble. That's all I wanted to do. But here was this person, and they were driving the speed limit, and I was getting upset. I mean, I was saying things that were not God-honoring in my head. Ever been there before? I'm saying these things, I'm having these thoughts, and, and the person uh, in front of me, they probably had no idea, right? Because number one, every time you yell, just as a reminder, they can't hear you. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that thought in the moment, like, I can't believe you, and they're like, they can't hear you, right? Um, unless it's your spouse in front and you're on the phone with them, but that's a whole different story. We got counseling that can help with that, but don't know where I got off. Anyways, I'm having these thoughts of not God-honoring thoughts. I'm saying these things in my head about this individual. They're an idiot. They're a moron. They're stupid. I can't believe they're in my way. If they would just, I kept saying, if they would just like slow down when we got to one of those dotted passing areas, because I don't want to go 20 over and get pulled over, because with my luck, there's going to be an unmarked car sitting right at the end of me passing then, and then all of my bank goes in the hole. Insurance goes up. Like, that's where my mind went. I'm like, if you would just slow down, can't you tell that I'm a little bit closer than I probably should be? So just let me pass. As I continued to rage at this individual, I finally had the opportunity, a passing area opened, I was able to get past them, which was great. Then I got home, or I got into town where we lived at, and we were like three minutes from the house, and guess what? There was another car. Another person decided to not go the speed limit this time. They were going 15 under the speed limit, all right? Now, you with the groans, you all understand, all right? 15 under, like, come on, folks, read the speed limit. Get out of the way, Grandma, right? Like, that's, sorry, Grandmas, if I offended you. That's the phrase. It's a phrase. 
You can tell where my heart is in the moment. So I'm frustrated. I'm again saying all this stuff to this individual that they have no idea in my head. Because if you're, you're looking in your rearview mirror, you would probably think, wow, that's a very nice human being behind me. They're smiling. And I'm like, you have no idea what I'm saying in my head about you. Right? That, that's, that's what's going on in my mind. And so I'm having these conversations. I'm incredibly frustrated, irritated, calling this person a bunch of names that do not honor Jesus. And here I am just judging them because I don't know what's going on in their life, but I'm having this own personal turmoil. So the next morning, I'm headed in early to uh, the small group that I was part of, and I'm driving in, and I'm listening to my podcast, and all of a sudden, over the, no- the, the podcast, I hear the sirens coming on behind me, and right? Anytime you hear sirens, you pull off to the side and let the emergency personnel go forward, and so I did that, and as soon as I pulled back on, see it passed, I look, and there's this big lifted truck that just jumps in right behind the officer and just starts passing people. And my mind goes, I can't believe that stupid individual would take that opportunity to go and do this. And all these poor people have moved over, have to wait for them, can't they wait? And my mind just started going again, again, and again. I'm getting frustrated with this individual, and I can't believe why they're doing this. Now, I'm not saying that all of these thoughts are right, because they're not. (laughs) I'm saying I'm falling just like the rest of you. I've got a sin nature just like the rest of you. I'm human like the rest of you road ragers out there, all right? I just keep it inside better than some of you. I don't use my fingers to point any of the wrong directions, okay? But I'm human. I have the thoughts just like you do. The thing is, we're all fallen by nature right? We're all fallen. We all have a sin nature inside of us, and yet in moments like that, we can begin to easily justify and condemn those people who are acting differently than we are. In life, we're susceptible to judge others according to their outward characteristics, rather than accept them as individual human beings who are equals. So I titled the message today, God Doesn't Play Favorites. God doesn't play favorites. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been journeying through the book of Acts, and the early church is the entire book of Acts. It's what it was a part of, and we're looking at the book of Acts, and we're looking at this mission that Jesus gave the early church. They were called the way, and this mission that Jesus gave them to share the message, to to teach them, teach others who he is, what he was about, and the same mission that Jesus gave to the early church is the same mission that we have as a church today, to go and share the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus to other people. And so in the book of Acts, it was an incredible thing that was transpiring. In the book of Acts, up until this point, the, the church, the early church, the way, it had been growing virally. I mean, it was exponentially multiplying. People were coming to Jesus. People were joining the church. They were having their lives transformed in an incredible way. But then something happened. There was this moment in the book of Acts. We talked about it last week, the stoning of Stephen, where this virality of the church, it began to do something different. It exploded and went different directions because the church, after Stephen was stoned, was persecuted. This this man named Saul of Tarsus was the greatest persecutor of them all. He was there that day when Stephen was being stoned and Saul of Tarsus began a drastic persecution of the church that drove the Jews all over the world. 
But what's interesting about Saul of Tarsus is he had a moment where he encountered Jesus. And can I tell you that one encounter, one moment with Jesus can change your life forever. And so, Paul, so Saul has this moment, this encounter with Jesus that radically changed him. It gave him a new identity. He no longer was Saul the persecutor, but he was Paul the beloved. He was a, a disciple for Jesus that went and shared the message with all of these other people. And so here in this moment, Saul is transformed to Paul, but there was still an issue that was taking place in the early church because the Jews, they were prejudiced against the Gentiles. They could, they could not stand the Gentiles. And so now God has his, his ambassador in place. He's got Saul in place to go and reach the Gentiles. And, and this, this moment transpires, I want to look at today. It's a, a pivotal moment in the Christian history. It's a, a, a defining moment, if you will, in Christianity. It's a moment when Christianity moved beyond the Jews and became available to all because all people matter to God. All people matter to God. And so in Acts chapter 10, there's a story that we're going to look at. In verse 1 of Acts 10, it says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So God sends an angel to Cornelius, which I look at and I see as proof that all people matter to God because Cornelius was a Gentile. And so if God didn't care about all people, why would God choose one of his, his incredible messengers to share with a Gentile? In this passage, we can look at how God cares about everybody, regardless of their coordination, regardless of how Jewish they were. In the book of Romans, it says this in Romans chapter 2, for God does not show favoritism. For God does not show favoritism. There was an NPR article uh, released a, a while back, and in this article, it shared how most races and, and identity groups feel discriminated against. Black, white, Asian, Middle Eastern, Hispanic, LGBTQ, they all feel discriminated against. And what's interesting is, is that even though they all feel discriminated against, they, they feel that, that all races, all identities are favored, all beliefs are favored more than they are. But God wants us to care for. God wants us to connect with all nations. When you look at the original Greek language, the term nations is ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnicity from. 
And in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus gives his disciples the great commission, he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. He's saying, I want you to go and make disciples of all ethnos, all ethnicities. I want you to go and reach everybody because all people matter to God. And here's the thing. If all people matter to God, then they should matter to you. If all people matter to God, then they should matter to you. And so soon, Peter, he would see this, and he would come to know that all people matter to God. But before God could save the Gentiles, he had to prepare Peter. He had to prepare him to bring the message to the Gentiles. After Cornelius sends his men, Peter, he has this vision. This vision of this sheet coming down, and on this sheet that's coming down, Peter, he's up on a rooftop. It's around lunchtime. Peter's hungry. And this sheet comes down with all of this food on it, all of this unclean food, these birds, these reptiles, things that the Jews wouldn't even touch. They wouldn't eat. And there's this voice that tells Peter to kill and to eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, no way, Lord. And the voice responds and says, don't call anything unclean if God has made it clean. Peter says, no, I'm not, I'm not eating. I've never eaten anything unclean. And the voice says, hey, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And so this, this vision that Peter has, it happens three different times. And he's, he's kind of puzzled with it. He doesn't understand what, what God's trying to teach him through this. And can I tell you that, that if God is, God is doing something in this moment, right, but, but for you and for your life and for where you're at, God's preparing you. God's preparing Peter in this moment, and he didn't even realize it. There are things in our life that God is preparing us for. God's preparing Peter because all people matter to God. And what's happening in this preparation process is God's beginning to break down barriers because God breaks down barriers. God breaks down barriers. God was about to break down the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. And part of Peter's preparation was his location. Part of the, the, the preparation process for Peter was the place that he was stationed at. God put Peter exactly where he wanted him for that specific time and for that specific purpose. And can I tell you, church, that God has you exactly where he wants you for this specific time and this specific purpose. But often in our lives, we feel limited by our location. But here's the thing. Our location doesn't limit us. Our location doesn't limit us. Our location is licensed for God to do something new. Our location is licensed for God to do something new. We're not limited by the location, the physical location, the financial location, the health location, the marital location, the relational location. We're not limited by the location that we're at. Our location is what launches us into God doing something new through us. Your location doesn't define your final destination. And so maybe you're sitting here today, maybe you're watching today or at another time, and you feel stuck, and you're lacking hope. Maybe you're here and there's something in life that's just not working out, and you feel unsettled about it. You feel limited by it. You feel unqualified for it. Can I tell you this, that if it's not good yet, then God's not done yet. If it's not good yet then God's not done yet. Your current location is not your final destination. 
right? And here's the thing. I mean, unless for some reason God calls you home this morning, praise Jesus if it does, right? We're excited to go to our final location, but that's probably not going to happen for the most of us. But here's what, what Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, it says, and this is at the very end of the Bible, the second to last chapter of the Bible, it says this, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. At the very end, God is still creating new things. God is still doing new stuff. At the very end, can I tell you that God is not done with you yet? You're still in the middle of what God has for you on your journey. And if you quit in the setup, you'll miss the breakdown. In music, there's this term called the breakdown. It's often in metal music or electronic music where there's this, this anticipation, this buildup that takes place, and then the beat drops or this thing, the breakdown happens. In athletics, if you're thinking about a football player or a basketball player, there's a setup step and then a breakthrough step. That you set a defender up one way and then you go the other way. And what happens oftentimes is we, we miss the setup process, and if we miss the setup, you'll miss the breakthrough. If you miss the setup, you'll miss the breakthrough. You'll miss God bringing walls down. What would have happened if the Israelites decided not to march around Jerusalem seven times? They would have missed the breakdown of the walls. And whatever season you're in right now, keep moving forward. Because God's not done yet. And you could miss the barriers coming down. See, if you're not dead yet, then he's not done yet. If you're not dead yet, then God's not done yet. Don't give up because God still has a plan for your life. No matter if you're 95 or 13, God has a plan for your life. And so here's Peter. He's sitting there. He's receiving this vision from God. And, and God is preparing him for the breakthrough to the Gentiles. And at the end of chapter 8, we see that Peter is, is stationed at Simon the Tanner's house. And it's a fact that we would often overlook, the fact that Peter's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. We're like, oh, great, thanks for that little detail, and then we keep reading. But if you, you look at the, new, the nuances of it, in that passage where he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, see, a tanner was an interesting individual. They had a, a, what I would call a terrible job. A tanner's job was to literally tan animal carcasses, the hides of animals. And so they would have all of these animal hides all over the place. And in the Jewish religious leaders, they believed and they thought that tanners, because of their dealings with these, these, uh, these rough carcasses, these unclean carcasses, they considered people who were tanners, Jews who were tanners, to be unclean. You look at the religious laws found in, Alexa, in, in Leviticus chapter 11. But Peter, being at the tanner's house, was the preparation that God was using. God is moving Peter one step at a time from Jewish legalism to freedom of the wonderful grace that God provides. It also could have been an easy way for Cornelius's men to know where Peter was at because they, the angel told Cornelius to send his men to Simon the Tanner's house and, and it's basically like saying, hey, go to Joppa and follow your nose because a Tanner's home smelled awful. It was rough. It was gross. He says, hey, go there. Follow your nose. That's how you know where, where Peter's at, just by the smell. And as soon as Peter's vision, Peter's up on the rooftop receiving this vision, and as soon as his vision ends, there's a knock on the door. 
and it's the three men that Cornelius sent. Days earlier had been sent, and they just happened to arrive at the same time this vision is ending for Peter. And in verse 23 of Acts 10, it says, Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa, Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Verse 28 is a radical statement. This, this statement that, that Peter makes here, it changes the course of history. Just as Peter alludes to the fact that he couldn't even pay association with a non-Jew, I think there's many people, many believers that feel that we can't associate with non-believers because of what other people are going to think. But can I tell you that God's mission extends beyond existing believers just as it did in Peter's day. God's mission is not just for people who call themselves Christians. God's mission is to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. God sent an angel to break down barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles. We need to trust God to break down the barriers that are in our lives. But unfortunately, because of our sin nature, we're all prone to be prejudiced. Pastor Stephen Cole, he says it this way. He says, uh, we tend to group people by race or occupation, and then we pigeonhole individuals and judge them because they belong to the group. Peter could have easily thought, centurions are Roman soldiers and are wicked, sensual, worldly pagans, and he would have badly misjudged Cornelius. Cornelius could have thought, I'm supposed to learn from an uneducated Jewish man who's staying with a tanner? He probably has never been outside of Palestine. What could he teach a well-traveled Roman like me? And he would have missed God's blessing. He goes on to say, like Peter, most of us use the Bible to justify our prejudices and read the Bible through the lens of our prejudices. Peter and the other apostles heard Jesus give the Great Commission on more than one occasion. He says, yet up to this time, they were still reaching primarily to the Jews. They probably thought that reaching those in the uttermost parts of the earth referred to the Jewish families who've been scattered abroad. But to reach out to pagan Gentiles was simply unthinkable. If you're prone to be prejudiced against people who are different than you, how are you ever going to reach them with the gospel? If you hate, if you steer clear of people who act different, who look different, who talk different, people you don't understand, how are you ever going to be able to bring them the life-changing message of Jesus? It can be so easy for us to build up these barriers not even realize it. I remember um, Audrey and I were traveling home from a weekend away together, and we were we've been traveling all day, we were driving all day, and we were meeting some friends at a, for a birthday party in, in Portland. So we were driving downtown Portland, it was about 8.30 at night, so everybody was either in for the night or at the, the location that they were going to be, and we couldn't find parking. And I was sick of driving, I'd been driving all day, and 
we're circling the block and then extending the block and we just kept going around we kept trying to find this parking spot and it was it was frustrating because we couldn't find this place to park and so finally in one of our passes to find a spot i, I came up across this valet parking place and uh it was like five or ten bucks for valet parking and can i tell you it was not hilton type valet parking all right the guys that were there were in these dingy, dirty, red coats. They had a pop-up tent. They had a desk that was on wheels and a sandwich board side that said valet parking, $5. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I'm done driving. But I don't know if I trust these guys. Like, for all I know, they could have just set up shop right there and said, hey, valet parking, and they get the keys, and then they're off to the 10 blocks away where they take the next person's keys, right? Like, and so I've got this, this block happening, this wall being built up, like, do I trust these guys? Do I not trust these guys? And, and I was, it was getting late. I was finally done with it. I was like, it's five bucks, 10 bucks, something like that, and, you know, I'm just going to take a chance at it. We've got all of our luggage in the back. All of our valuables are there, and so you know what? Hopefully they don't rob us blind, but here's my keys, I built up these prejudices about these guys because of the dingy jackets they were wearing. They probably had some great business that they were doing. They were young kids, you know, in their early 20s. And they've got this pop-up tent. They're parking cars for people. It costs five bucks. And, and here they are. And here I am, you know, building up these walls, these prejudices against them because of the setup. But just like that, it happened. I wasn't even prepared for it. And that's what happens in our life. We build up these walls. We build up these prejudices because of our sin nature, because of how we're wired to think naturally. And if we don't face our prejudices and allow God to root them out, to, to break down the walls, then we're not going to be effective in reaching across cultural and personal barriers with the gospel. God will break down barriers if we allow ourselves to allow him to break the walls down. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For Christ has brought us peace. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, catch this, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. When Jesus went to the cross, the wall broke down. In a time when there are all types of prejudices and, and racism, we have to open ourselves to accept God's help to break down the barriers that we personally put up. And when we accept that God helps us break these barriers down because all people matter to him and that God doesn't play favorites, we begin to do the right thing. And what happens is when you do the right thing, others will follow. Do the right thing and others will follow. Will all others follow? Eh, probably not. But those who are really led by the Spirit will. Peter followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and because he followed the leading to reach out to the Gentiles, you and I get to sit here today and hear the message. Otherwise, we would have missed it. If Peter wasn't obedient, we would have missed out on the forgiveness, the grace, the hope that we have in Jesus. But it didn't come without a price. Peter, he ate with the Gentile people, which the Jews in that day would consider an act of acceptance. And so the Jews, they were upset with Peter. And in Acts chapter 11, it says, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard 
that the Gentiles had also received or had also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. So then Paul begins to recount the entire story to the Jews. He tells them about this vision and how this sheet comes down with all these different unclean things and how he says, no, Lord. He tells God, no, that he's not going to do it. And he hears this voice say, uh, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. But he tells God no originally. And, and here's the thing. It's been said that, that how many of us know that we can say no and we can say Lord, but we can't say no, Lord. If he's truly our Lord, then we can only say yes to obeying him and his commands. And so Peter continues talking about this vision and these men that show up and he goes with them even though they're Gentiles and he goes back and meets with Cornelius and Peter shows up and all who heard the message that day were saved and the Holy Spirit fell on those who had heard the message. And then Peter said this in verse 16 of Acts 11. He said, then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave the same gift, them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The wall came down for the Jews and they were able to see that all people matter to God. And then the Jews, they came along with Peter. Why? Because Peter did the right thing. The Jews, they followed him. Did he get some flack? Sure. Did he have some obstacles? Of course. Often when we face trials, often when we're trying to go against and disrupt cultural norms, we're going to get flack. We're going to face obstacles. But when you obey, even when there are obstacles, people will follow. You see, you must be committed to doing what's right because what's right is not always easy. What's right is not always easy. If it's easy, you wouldn't need to trust God. And if you don't need to trust God, then what's the point of us being here? 1 Peter 3 says, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good than it is, if it is, that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Good decisions are often relatively easy to make, but your best decisions are usually much more difficult. In the movie Hidden Figures, there's this incredible story about a, a black woman named Katherine Johnson. Katherine Johnson was an incredibly gifted mathematician who was working at NASA. As Katherine Johnson was working at NASA, she, this scene in the movie recalls her walking into the control center and Al Harrison, who was leading at the time, he watches her walk in. She's soaking wet and he begins to ask her and question her, why are you never where I'm at when I need you? So Katherine Johnson shares with him why she's never at when he need, where, she, where she is when he needs her. She says, it's because as a black woman, I have to walk over a half mile to use the restroom. And then you expect me to work these long hours on this terrible coffee that's only for me. And she continues to go on this trail of sharing the differences of Al Harrison as a white man and, and her as a, a black woman. And Al Harrison just watches her walk out and then he kind of looks over at the coffee pot in this scene in the movie. And he pulls the black label off of her coffee, of Catherine's coffee. 
And the very next moment, you see him over at this restroom, which presumably is the same restroom a half mile across the campus, where it says, Black Ladies Restroom. And you see him beating this sign down. And eventually, the sign comes down. And you see both colors of people standing and watching this take place as Al Harrison is, is trying to prove a point with something. At the very end, he says this. He says, there is no more separate restrooms at NASA because we all pee the same color. While humorous as it is, it's not incorrect. And in that moment, Al Harrison, he changed the culture at NASA. He did the right thing, and other people followed. He broke down the barrier in that moment there at that place between whites and blacks, and he did it because all people matter. But beyond that, I love how John Piper puts it. He says, it's a wonder that in God's choosing a people for himself, he nullified the self-exalting effects of all races and ethnicities. He says in 1 Peter 2 that you are a chosen race, a holy nation. The chosen race isn't white, it's not black, it's not Asian, it's not uh, Middle Eastern or any other natural grouping. The chosen race are people who are born again to a living hope we see in 1 Peter chapter 1. Their new identifying DNA is from the Holy Spirit. Race and ethnicity are not unimportant in our common cultural life, but they are not what unites us to each other in Christ. We are a new creation a new humanity. Peter even says a new race, a chosen race, a race taken from all races. God chose us freely without respect to race to be in this one new race. And then he sent his son Jesus to purchase us from all the ethnic groups in the world. In Revelation 5, it says, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In this moment, when Jesus gave his life on the cross, he nullified all racism. He bound together every race and every ethnicity into one new family, one family under the glorious Father. And he did this in eternity when he chose to make people from every race into this new race. Being a chosen race under Jesus should end all racism among Christians because God doesn't play favorites. All people matter to God. He breaks down the barriers that we put up. And when we do the right thing, other people will follow. Church, we need to obey God by putting our prejudices, prejudices to death and by showing his love and offering his gospel to those who we might not naturally be inclined to like. And he will use it to exalt his name among the nations. You never know the effect that it could have. Peter altered the course of church history by simply obeying God. What could God do through your obedience? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the story of Peter and the effect that he had on history. God, we're grateful that we can be here today listening to this message because of the obedience of Peter. 
God, we come before you today and we ask that, that you would show us where our prejudices are. God, so that we can break barriers, so we can share your message, so we can encourage people to follow you with their whole hearts. So we keep praying this morning. Maybe you were here today and you were convicted like I was as I was preparing this message about the prejudices you have or recognize that you might be prone to judging people. And you're sitting here today and you want to be more like Jesus. You want to stop playing favorites. You want to do the right thing. That's you today. I'm, I'm going to simply ask you with heads bowed and eyes closed. My hands raised, but if that's you, that you want to lay aside your prejudices and learn to share the message with all people, would you just lift your hand so I can pray for you today? My hand's up in this. I was challenged as I prepared this message. God, you see hands that are going up, hands that want to do the right thing. God, people that, that need to need help breaking down the barriers that may keep them from seeing everybody the same. God, we ask you to remove these barriers. God, would you open our eyes? Help us to, to see people who need you. Help us to see people the way that you see them. All the same and all important. God, we ask that you would give us your eyes, we pray. As we continue praying this morning, maybe there's a different barrier that you've got. A barrier that you've built up that needs to be broken down a barrier between you and, and a personal relationship with Jesus. You're here today and you've never given your life to him, but you sense that there's something in your life that needs to change. That's the Holy Spirit. He, he's drawing you in. When you give your life to Jesus, you begin to see people differently. If you're here today and you want God to help you bring down barriers in your life, you want to experience the hope that God has for you, the joy that he has, the forgiveness, the grace. If you're here today and there's been that barrier that you haven't had a personal relationship with Jesus, with heads bowed and eyes closed in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And what we'll do together is we'll repeat a prayer line by line. Everybody in the room will repeat it. We don't want to single you out. We don't want to embarrass you. But if that's you today, ready to receive Jesus, a personal relationship with him, that wall is ready to come down. On the count of three, would you just lift your hand and say, Jesus, please take that wall down. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, ready? One, two, three. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Would you all pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, Thank you for your grace. Thank you for welcoming, welcoming me into your family. I need you, Jesus. I give my life to you today. Thank you for going to the cross and paying my debt. Today, Jesus, I make you my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for new life. And now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we join in with the angels in heaven?